Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. You should be glad you're here today. Did you guys see the latest Gallup poll released this week? Um, obviously, Americans' mental health ratings sink to a new low. Been a hard year if you haven't been aware of that. However, they interviewed 19 different groups of people, asking them which groups were em- more emotionally healthy in 2020 than 2019. Here were the groups that they um, that they asked: males and females, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Um, Those who attend religious services weekly, monthly, or never. Um, White people and non-white people. Married people and single people. Those in the age groups of 18 to 29, 30 to 49, 50 to 64, 65 plus. Those with an income under $40,000, between $40,000 and $100,000, and over $100,000. And only one group said they were doing emotionally better in 2020 than in 2019. And what group do you think it was? Those who go to church every week, not those who go to church every month, but people who every week made an effort to get out of their house, engage in spiritual community, engage in worship, engage in a little bit of Bible study, said this year I'm actually doing better than last year. Not people who are making good money, not people whose political candidate won, but those people who are getting out of their house every week to go to church said I'm doing better this year than I was last year. Thank you for making an effort to be here today. Thank you for getting your kids and sending them to kids ministry today. For those of you who are watching online and you make Sunday morning a priority, thank you for being even in church online with us every Sunday. I'm glad you're here. It sounds like you are glad that you're here. Ultimately, life is better because we get to worship together. We're in a series called God with us. Today's December 13th. We are 12 days from Christmas, so we are providing you with a 12 days of Christmas prayer guide. As you leave today in the vestibule of both of these doors, there's a 12 days of Christmas prayer in Advent guide, which starting today will give you a little devotional and a little prayer time every day between now and Christmas. It ends Christmas morning, an Advent calendar that you and your family can have. I want you to make sure and grab this before you leave. For those of you who are watching online, you can download this. If you're not here today, you can text two words, journey, prayer guide. That's one word to 474747. It'll give you a link so you can print this off and spend the last 12 days of getting ready for 12 days of Christmas, really in some devotional time and in some prayer time. We're excited for that. In this series called God With Us, here is the premise of this series to celebrate Christmas as the season that we remember and leverage the fact that God is with us because of Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. This series is all about Jesus. This season is all about Jesus. Christmas is all about Jesus. One week from today, we'll start 12 Christmas services. We're asking you to pick the one you are going to come to. One thing I want you and those of you watching online to know is we have, since kind of we, we came back to church in this pandemic, we've limited the number of chairs in this room. We never set more than 75% of total occupancy chairs in the room. And for all of our Christmas services, we'll be limiting the number of people in the room to 50% occupancy. On Monday and Tuesday, we'll even eliminate more chairs. We'll have about 35% occupancy of chairs. We will not allow more than 25% occupancy of people. So if you really want to be in a hugely socially distanced environment, if you've been watching online because you can't be around crowds, but you really would like to come and celebrate Christmas with us, Monday and Tuesday, very few chairs, very few people. The rest of the services will all have some safe, socially distanced environments. And if you're watching from home, if you're going to do Christmas at home, 
You need to go to that website, Christmas at JCI.com. You can sign up to pick up one of these boxes that allows you to basically celebrate our Christmas service with us inside. You'll get your candles for our silent night song. You'll get all of your communion elements. You just tell us how many people are going to be doing Christmas at home with you. We'll get a box ready for you, and you can pick this up before the Christmas service that you'll be watching. So we want people, even in a year that's going to be difficult, to celebrate Christmas with Jesus right in the center. We think we can help everyone do that. We're in Matthew chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, let's get ready to dig in for our Bible study time. You can fire up your app so you can take some notes. Let me throw all four of our goals on the screen real quick. Here's what we're going to try to learn in study in Matthew chapter 2. Number one, we're going to learn the greatest threat to Jesus ruling our lives. We're going to learn the nature and calling of Jesus as the Messiah. We're going to learn to believe the unbelievable because we've got great evidence of that unbelievable. And we're going to learn to get out of Egypt with Jesus if you find yourself in Egypt yet again, in your spiritual life. It normally takes us about 35 minutes to get through two goals each Sunday, so settle in for the next 70, and we'll try to get through these four. You say, you serious, Clark? Um, it didn't take that long at the first one, but, but we're, we're going to have to go fast. So we should pray, and then we'll jump into Matthew chapter 2. Would you bow your heads with me here, and for those of you watching online, take a deep breath, and let's settle into this service. As we pray, I want you to think about the person or family you might be inviting to celebrate your spiritual Christmas with you. Pray for them right now by name and ask that God might open up their heart to your invitation and then open up up their hearts to who Jesus is. If you don't know who you're supposed to invite yet, ask God to show you this week who needs Jesus at Christmas. And then number two, ask God to speak to your heart this morning in our Bible study time. Tell him you're listening for his voice. God, those are our prayers. Let this Christmas be impactful to somebody in our life who needs to come to Jesus or maybe to come back to Jesus or church this year. God, today, as we look in Matthew 2, let us see Jesus more clearly and maybe understand the things in our life that might be standing in opposition to him so that we can follow him better. That's our prayer. We see things in Jesus' name today, and everyone said... Amen. Matthew chapter 2. I've been told that I sometimes read a little too fast, but I've always got more to say than time to say it. So lock in. Here we go. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him when he called together all the people's Chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there. Until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, 
and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet of Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. For those of you who want to learn the Bible, one of the, one of the best Bible study methods that I learned when I was in college is sometimes it's good to get away from the Bible and listen to it instead of read it, but not listen to it like you're listening to an audio book. Listen to it as if you're having a conversation. So from time to time, I will pull out of the Bible with my eyes and I will just listen with my ears, not to hear what is being said, but to have a conversation with the author. I did that with Matthew this week in Matthew chapter two. I just turned my phone on. I began to play Matthew chapter two. And every time I had a question come up, I would pause it and I would ask the question. For those of you who want to learn to mine the depths of scripture, I would encourage from time to time you do this, sit back and listen as if you were listening in a conversation to an author teaching you things. And whenever you have a question, pause it, write your question down, and don't continue until you have found the answers. As I listened to Matthew chapter 2 this week, I paused it four distinct times and said, wait a minute, I've got a question about this. The first question I had as I listened through Matthew chapter 2 was, wait a minute, it seems as there are dueling kings in this story. I had to stop before I even got three verses in because I said, wait a minute, Matthew, I've got a question. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. They asked the king where the king had been born while the old king was still ruling on the throne in Jerusalem. And I thought that's going to cause a problem. When you show up as a foreign dignitary and you ask the king, where the real king is, that's going to cause a problem. And I thought, Lord, as I listen to this, this has to cause an issue, doesn't it? And I felt like God said, Christian, this always causes an issue. Because anytime Jesus shows up on the scene, Jesus shows up on the scene in order to become the king. But there's almost always a king that's already in place. And one of the things that makes it so difficult for so many people to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of their life is there's already a king there. The greatest threat to Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart is the fact that you are already sitting there. And for Jesus to sit down on the throne of your heart, you have to get up and move. And this causes tension. Anyone who decides to follow Jesus has to handle the tension of dueling kings. You or Jesus, who gets to be in charge? I've been reading with several hundred of our leaders this year every day, the daily devotional, my utmost for his highest on December 9th of this week. Chambers says this, listen to this, following Jesus is not just a question of giving up sin, but of giving up my right to myself, my natural independence, my self-will. This is where the battle has to be fought. Beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. Beware of refusing to get off of the throne ruling your life. Beware of refusing to not stand up. There are too many Forrest Gump Christians. 
You say, what do you mean by Forrest Gump Christians? Remember when Forrest got on the bus his first day of school, as he walked up to every seat, what was the comment said to him? Seats taken. So many times when Jesus walks to the door of our heart, we look at Jesus and say, seats taken. I'm already sitting there. I'm going to make this decision. I already know the answers here. Or like little Jenny in the back of the bus, we slide over and say, you can sit with me. But Jesus said, I don't want to sit with you. It's not a throne for two. I need you to get out of the the seat so I can sit down. See, every time Jesus shows up on the scene, whether it's Matthew chapter 2 in Bethlehem or whether it's your life today, there is the threat of dueling kings for Jesus to become the king of your life. You have to get off of the throne. Or maybe it's not you. A lot of times it's not us that sits on the throne of our heart, but we've allowed some other person in life to sit on the throne of our heart. And what you need to know is when you allow someone else to have the throne of your heart and then all of a sudden Jesus steps in, those people are usually not real happy with you for inviting Jesus to be in charge. Look at verse 3 as we continue through Matthew 2. When King Herod heard that there was another king, he was disturbed, and everyone in Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Herod was disturbed and so was everyone else. Everybody say these two words, Herod's army. See, the the thing in your life that wants to be king more than Jesus usually is not alone. It usually has an army that comes with it. And I think one of probably the most understated but important truths that every Christian needs to know about making Jesus the king of your life, one of the greatest and most understated truths of Christianity is that your old king has an army willing to fight against your new king, Jesus. And when you decide to let Jesus sit on the throne of your heart, anything else that's close to the throne of your heart usually gets upset about that. And they want to fight against it. Herod had very bad intentions at the thought of Jesus being king, and so did his army, so much so that when he said, kill all the baby boys, they said, okay. Herod and his army did not want Jesus to be the new king of anything, and when you decide to let Jesus be the king of your life, you will not just have to fight yourself, you'll probably have to fight a lot of people wrapped around your life. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in one of the most shocking statements of New Testament scripture, in Luke 14, 26, says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. And then he says, your father, your mother, your wife, and your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. This word in the Greek language that we read hate in English really is a word that means prefer. But if Jesus Jesus is saying this, if you don't prefer me to others, chances are they don't want me to be in charge of your life. And you're going to have to make a choice whether or not you're going to listen to me or you're going to listen to them. It's why When some women give their heart to Jesus, their husbands are not excited because their husband wants to sit on that throne. It's why when some kids give their hearts to Jesus, their parents are not excited because their parents want to sit on that seat in their life. It's why when some husbands give their lives to Jesus, their wives are not excited because now they're going to prefer Jesus even over everything else going on in their family. There there is a fight between dueling kings and their armies. When you decide to let Jesus be in charge of everything, you have to understand that the enemy is coming. I read Matthew chapter 2, and I said, wait, i got a question about these dueling kings. i got a question about Herod's army and these bad intentions. And Jesus says, yeah, it's always been that way. People will be disturbed when Jesus becomes king of your life. But that is the story of Christmas, dealing with those disturbances and continuing to move forward. As I continue to listen to Matthew chapter 2, my second question is, wait a minute, king or messiah? King or messiah? Because the magi show up from the far east, and they ask Herod, 
where the king has been born. And Herod asked the rulers of the religious community not where the king has been born, but where the Messiah has born. So, so wait a minute, king or Messiah? Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. The Magi showed up and they said, where's the king? And Herod said, let, let me find out. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. King or Messiah? You see, Herod knew that there was a difference. Herod knew that he clearly was the king. He also clearly knew that he was not the Messiah. And what he was trying to figure out if is, is this the real king? Is this God's king? He said, well, what's the difference between the king and the Messiah? Matthew tells us in verses 5 and 6 and in verses 10 and 11, he actually gives us five attributes of the Messiah that help us understand whether or not we think we want him or will follow him in life. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, where's the Messiah going to be born? They say in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What is the Messiah? The Messiah is someone who will be a ruler. The Messiah is someone who will be a shepherd, but we also learn he'll be three more things. When the Magi saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Matthew in just these few little verses. So there's a difference between a king and a Messiah. And the Messiah of God has five very specific characteristics in what he's called to do and how he will lead in your life, the nature that you will have in the nature that he will use to lead your life. The question is, do you need him? Let's look at these five characteristics and ask this question. The Messiah, do you need him? He'll, number one, be a ruler. He'll be a ruler. He will come to rule people. You know, in 2020, I have... Uh, enjoyed asking people this question when people tell me no one's going to be in charge of my life but me. I like to ask them this year, how's that going for you? When students, when college students tell me, I'm not going to let Jesus control my life, I'm in control of my life. I said, man, how's that going for you this year? How'd that go first semester, you, you being in charge of you and the world and all that? When parents tell me, I'm not going to let Jesus make decisions for me and my family and my children. I'm going to be in control of that. I say, oh, how's that going for you this year? Because I think this year, maybe more than any other year, I think we've all realized we are not in control of anything. And if we could have a ruler who was good, who took even bad things and brought good out of them, he would be someone worth following. Matthew says the Messiah is going to be someone who will rule people well. And even when the circumstances of life are bad, he will turn those things good. He'll also, number two, be someone who will shepherd my people. A shepherd is somebody who will lead you in the right direction. A shepherd is someone who will lead you toward good things and away from bad things. My question, do you trust Jesus to lead you? Is he your shepherd? Parents, do you trust Jesus to lead your children? There's a very um, there's a very discouraging trend going on in the church in 2020. Really, it's been going on the last 20 years, and it's this. It's parents who grew up being drugged to church by their mom and dads who are now not going to do that to their children. They're going to let their children decide whether or not they want to go to church because they didn't like their parents forcing them to go to church. They're saying, I'm never going to force Jesus on my kid. Like, they can decide for themselves. When they're older, they can decide for themselves. 
And that's discouraging because the trends and the statistics are very, very scary. Did you know that in America, 91% of everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus became a follower of Jesus before the age of 18? Did you know that? 91% of all Christians in the United States of America became followers of Jesus before the age of 18. Let's flip that. That means only 9% of people who are not followers of Jesus by the age of 18 are going to become followers of Jesus. We have a generation of parents who say, I'm not going to bring my kids to a shepherd named Jesus when they're 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them wait till they're an adult and then they can decide for themselves because my parents kept, kept dragging me to church and I had some bad experiences. Mom and dad, if you knew that your kids would only have a 9% chance of survival if you didn't take them to the doctor for their yearly physical by the age of 18, would you let them make that call? Would you let your kids make the call whether or not they want to go get their shots? whether or not they want to go get their teeth cleaned at the dentist. Like if you knew they only had a 9% chance of survival, of avoiding an infection in their life, if you didn't take them to the doctor before the age of 18, would you let, would you let them make that choice based on their comfort? Based on not wanting them to be uncomfortable, not wanting them to shed tears, not wanting them to miss school? Like mom and dads, we, we've got to learn. Listen, you can trust Jesus. He's a good shepherd. And if you just keep pushing your kids in front of Jesus, there, there is a good chance they'll meet him and he will shepherd them away. Say, Christian, why do you think only 9% of people who aren't followers of Jesus before the age of 18, like why do you think only 9% become followers of Jesus? I think it's because so many think that they have to start their whole life over and they say, I'm just too old to do that. But the reality is Jesus is such a good shepherd. There's a weird thing spiritually that the will of God for your life and your actual life literally run like in parallel tracks. And here's what you need to know. Every day of your life, there's an on-ramp for you to go from where you are onto the will of God for your life. Like you don't have to go back to the beginning. You don't have to go back and clean up everything you did from 8 to 18. You can today take the on-ramp from where you are onto God's will for your life and start with a shepherd named Jesus. You can do that. But the Messiah will be someone who was a shepherd. And then these three gifts tell us three more things about the Messiah. One, he would be a king. When foreign dignitaries showed up in town and they brought the gift of gold, they would only present those to royalty, to nobility. So they were saying, we understand this baby is going to be a king. You say, what's the difference between a ruler and a king? A ruler gets to set direction. A king is responsible for protecting his people and providing for his people. When they gave Jesus the gift of incense, they recognized him as a priest, one who would connect people to God. Incense was a gift given in the ancient Near East by foreign dignitaries to people who served in the various temples around the world because all of the prayers were symbolized by incense. So when you gave frank incense to someone, you were saying, I understand there's going to be an element of spiritual service in his life. And then we see Jesus as the Messiah being a sacrifice, the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was most often used in the Middle East to prepare a body for burial. So at his birth, they're acknowledging there's something to this child that's something to his calling and his purpose that's going to end in death. Let me ask you again. If this is the Messiah, do you need him? Do you need someone to help rule your life in a world where you realize you have no control? Do you need a shepherd to push you in the right direction? 
Do you need a king to protect and provide for you? Do you need a priest to connect you to God? Do you need a sacrifice who can take your test? You know, I've been reading articles about all the online school going on, and one of the greatest threats to online school is how easy it is for kids to cheat. Have you read these articles? Basically, in the early days of online school, they're realizing when kids are just taking tests that are due by midnight, what they found out is kids were finding their friends who were smarter than them and saying, hey, log in and take my test. While that's very unethical, those kids will be great leaders one day. It's like, I'm going to find someone who does something better than me, and I'm going to ask them to help me do it on, on my... Like, I don't think you should do that. I'm just saying, I, like, I, can't, I get it. Um, so, so what they did in online school is they said, okay, we can't let kids take tests without being logged in virtually. We've got to be able to see each other. So, so they made kids log in while teachers and kids could see each other. And they said kids started having their friends sit on the other side of their laptop listening to verbal questions being given, and their smart friends were writing answers on a whiteboard and, sh- and showing it to them. In online school, they found ways for someone better than them to take the test. When I say that Jesus is a Savior, I'm saying he's willing to take your test for you. God says, to be in relationship with me, you're going to have to get a perfect score. And Jesus says, I'll do that for you. God says, to be in relationship with me, your sin's going to have to be punished. And Jesus says, I'll take those tests for you. Jesus is the great test taker that allows our lives to be good enough for God and to be cleansed enough through forgiveness of sin for God. Jesus is the Messiah. Do you need him? He's the Messiah. Do you need him? As I kept listening through Matthew chapter 2, another question popped up. Like, man, a lot of prophets. Matthew would say, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. This happened in accordance with the prophet. This happened, and it reminded me of the prophets. Like, man, there's a lot of prophets. What's with all the prophets, Matthew? Matthew quotes directly or indirectly six Old Testament prophecies, or what I would call predictions. If you haven't grown up in church, and you're like, what's a prophecy? It's a prediction in the past about the future in order to prove that God is in both. Matthew quotes directly or indirectly six Old Testament prophecies, predictions about God's promised Savior, each of them nearly 700 years old. He quotes Moses from Numbers 24, 17, a star will rise, proving that there's a new ruler in Israel. Moses wrote that in 1400 B.C., 1400 years before Jesus was born. He quotes Samuel in 2 Samuel 5, 2, who was about 1,000 years before Jesus was born. Hosea 11, 1, he quotes 750 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah 11, 1, he quotes 700 years before Jesus was born. Micah 5, 2, he quotes 700 years before Jesus was born. Jeremiah 31, 15, he quotes 600 years before Jesus was born. What Matthew is trying to say is God's been telling the world, if they'll listen and pay attention, for more than a thousand years that this Savior, King, Messiah is coming. And he said, what all these prophets have said has finally come true in Jesus. Here's what we need to understand about the Christmas story. Here's what we need to understand about following Jesus. Old Testament prophecy is a treasure map to the New Testament Messiah. And to this point, it's entirely historically reliable. You need to know, I, I do not walk in faith without reason. For me, there's a lot of faith and reason side by side. And the minute archaeology begins to disprove scripture, I'll be one of the first ones to step back and say, okay, we need to look at things more carefully. But what you need to understand is in the 2,000 years since the New Testament was finished being written, in the 2,500 years since the Old Testament was finished being written, every historical and archaeological find that has been unearthed has proven that this book is true, every one of them. There's not been one that's been uncovered yet where it's like the Bible was wrong. Up to this point, 
Everything that the Old Testament has said is historically reliable. I told you last week, you don't need to be ashamed of calling yourself a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be ashamed of saying you believe the Bible. You don't need to be ashamed of basing your faith on a book that's a few thousand years old because up to this point, and it could change, I don't believe it will, but up to this point, everything in this book is completely historically reliable. I tell people when our church takes trip to Israel, we've taken seven trips to Israel, more than 100 people from time to time. People will bring friends and family members who are not yet followers of Jesus. They'll say, can they come to Israel? And I'll say, yes. But here's what they need to know if they're going to be honest. When you go to Israel, one of two things is going to happen if, if you... If you go to Israel with your heart open, one, you're going to become a follower of Jesus. At the very least, you're going to have to become Jewish because every place you go will prove that this book is true. And if you walk away from the Holy Land and say, I still don't believe in the God of heaven, it's because you have rejected truth. Not because you're a skeptic, not because there's no truth. You just need to say, I don't want it. But when we look at what the prophets say, and Matthew chapter 2, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet, six times Matthew says, all this was talked about, all this is credible, all this is reliable, and Jesus is here. A lot of prophets gives us a lot of great evidence and credibility to our faith. But then question number four, I'm listening to Matthew chapter 2, and I'm thinking, man, here we go again. If you've read scripture, it's like, we got to come out of Egypt again. Like how many times are people of God who are supposed to be living in the promise of God? How many times are people of God who are supposed to live in the promise of God going to end up in Egypt and have to come out of Egypt again? Jesus ended up there. In Matthew 2, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. The people of God went back to the promise of God out of Egypt. Abraham had had done this. Abraham had been in the promise of God and somehow he ended up in Egypt. There he learned to trust God and then he went back to Israel and stepped into the promise of God. His grandson Jacob was supposed to live in the promise of God. But he ended up in Egypt where he preserved his life and his family for a generation before they took a trip back to Israel. Joseph was supposed to be someone. He was born and raised in the promised land, in the promise of God. But then you wake up one day and he finds himself in prison in Egypt. There he learned to be the leader God wanted him to be before his bones were eventually carried back to Israel. Moses, another leader of God in the promises of God, had to lead people out of bondage in Israel to free, bondage in Egypt to freedom in Israel Joshua the great military general of Israel learned to fight and win battles through faith as he traveled from Egypt to Israel and Jesus and Jesus traveled out of Egypt and into Israel to begin a ministry that would capture your heart and transform your life And I have found in my own life and in the life of people that I interact with, so many times we're supposed to be living in the promise, but we look up and we're in Egypt again. It's like, how do we keep ending up here? Abraham did and Jacob did and Moses did and Joshua did. Like, I get all that, but like, how do I keep, like, I I want to live in the promise. How do I keep finding myself in Egypt once again away from God? I'm not sure why we always end up there. 
I just know when we find ourselves in Egypt again, it's time to come out of Egypt again. Matthew chapter 2, as you listen to it, brings up some great questions. Those questions have good answers. But those answers, like my Bible study title today, they lead to some implications. Like those answers lead to some implications and applications for your life of, okay, if you learn this stuff, what are you going to do about it? See, what we learn about coming out of Egypt is this. At some point, it's time to start or restart your spiritual journey, which has been God's purpose for you since the very beginning. And I don't know where you're ending 2020 spiritually, but I know this. God has a purpose for your life. And if you've been hanging out in Egypt rather than living in the promise, Sometime in the next 18 days between December 13th of 2020 and when we get to January 1 of 2021, it's time for you to get out of Egypt again and step back into the promise. The last few years at our church, we try to help people in December hear a word from God on the direction of their life the next year. We ask everyone to, it's what we call our JCI one word. What's the one thing that God wants for your life in 2021? What if you could get a head start on getting out of Egypt after this God-awful year of 2020? What if you could get a head start on following God out of Egypt back into the promise? What's God want for you next year? And what will it take for you to get there? Because Christmas is the time we all get to reset at Bethlehem. What is Bethlehem? Two words in the Hebrew language, Beit Lechem. It means house of bread. It's the place of provision. It's where King David was born. But he left there to go help some tired warriors, his brothers included, when they were fighting the Philistine. Jesus was born there. But he eventually had to leave there to go help a tired humanity that was involved in the greatest battle of life, fighting against sin and the culture of the Roman Empire. And in 2020, as we turn the calendar from 2020 to 2021, your Bethlehem, the place where you find Jesus could be the place where your tired, weary soul is nourished by stepping out of Egypt and back into the promise. What has God been saying to you? What are you going to do about it? If you don't know Jesus, if you've never met the Messiah, today can be the day you invite Jesus to be your ruler and your shepherd and your king and your priest and your savior. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you have told him every time he comes to be in control of your life, seat's taken, or you've just slid over and said, hey, we can sit together. Today he's saying, no, let me get up and have the throne of your life. You can, you can trust me there. Mom and dads, for those of you saying, I'm not going to force Jesus on my kid. Listen, you cannot force Jesus on your kids, but you can put your kids in front of Jesus, and I promise you he's a good shepherd. You can trust him. What is God saying to you today? What are you going to do about it? Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open here and online. If you've never met Jesus... Matthew today told us he's the Messiah, that he came to rule and to direct and to provide and to protect. He came to to connect you to God. He came to take your test so you could be forgiven and one day live eternally with him. If you do not know Jesus as the Messiah, but today you realize you need who he is, then just open your heart to heaven today. And whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just tell Jesus you need him. Pray something like these words from your heart to heaven. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sin and brokenness. Heal me from the inside out and make me brand new. I surrender my throne to you. Come into my heart and my life. I need you 
to be the king. Today, by faith, I commit to follow Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with us in just a second, Hannon's going to come up and tell you how you can let us know about your spiritual decisions so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, celebrate with you if you give us a chance. Today, you've made an eternal decision that will change your heart and life forever if you are committed to it and walk in it. But before we close in prayer, Christians, let me talk to the Christians. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are open. Christians, have you given up the throne of your heart or invited Jesus to sit alongside you? What did God say to you today? Christians, are you struggling with Herod's army? There's some people in your life upset with you because you've allowed Jesus to be on the throne. The only answer is to spend more time with him. Maybe before you leave today, commit to 12 days of Christmas prayer and devotions through our Advent plan to strengthen your spirit. Christians, do you need to come out of Egypt again? You can't figure out how you keep ending up there. But like Abraham and like Jacob and like Joseph and like Moses and Joshua, even like Jesus, you look up and you're in Egypt again. Is God calling you out of Egypt into the promise? Start walking with Jesus all over again as you end this year and start next year. Ask God to speak a word into your soul that is your spiritual direction for the year. Father God, we thank you for Matthew. This biographer of Jesus and his life and his ministry who just by telling us the story of Jesus' birth and then stopping to answer our questions helps us see the reality of dueling kings in a way that allows us to let Jesus be in charge. Helps us to understand the difference between a king and a Messiah so we can understand Jesus' calling and role in our life. Helps us understand the words of the prophets so we can have credible evidence in our present for what we believe spiritually and who shows us that every time we find ourselves in Egypt, it's time to return to the promise. God, thank you for what we've learned. Press it deep into our hearts until the questions and the answers, Lord, become applied to our life in real action. Can't do it without you. This Christmas season, we see you. We celebrate you. We're drawn Bless us, Lord, as we seek to help our community know you this Christmas season. We love you. God, we ask all these things today in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Let's